welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your host and interviewer each week. Today, our guest is Trent Shelton, the author of the book, The Greatest You, Face Reality, Release Negativity, and Live Your Purpose. Trent is known to millions of Americans as a former NFL player. He's a father, a spouse, a social media influencer, where his messages on YouTube and other platforms, get this, reach over 50 million people. Trent Shelton, welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership. What up, Scott, man? Thanks for having me. It's an honor uh, to be on here, man. Like, you know, we always are on the same stages or miss each other, <laughs> you know, every now and then. So it's finally good to finally meet you, man. And thank you for sharing, sharing your platform with me. Trent, it's our honor. We were talking off camera how two dear friends of ours, Rachel and Dave Hollis, and there are many events hosted the Rise Business event last year in Charleston. It's where I met many of our guests, including a friend of ours, a mutual friend, um, Ed Milette. And uh, although we miss each other by a day, it's how we've created a connection. And I'm honored that you've joined us today. Trent, what I'd like to do is talk a bit about some of the great stories in your most recent book, The Greatest You. But first, would you take a moment and kind of reorient all of our listeners and viewers to a little bit of your career. You're well known as a speaker, social influencer, author, but also as a former NFL player with the Colts. I'm going to get into some of your um, NFL stories, but just take a moment and let everybody kind of reorient to your own life's journey. Absolutely, Scott. So uh, professional athlete, uh, obviously that was my dream since I could remember. I had two older brothers, so I didn't have a choice. It was me always trying to keep up with them. So at a very early age, I made up my mind that I wanted to be a professional athlete, whether it's baseball, basketball, football. Ended up being football. We, uh, I grew up in Louisiana. We moved to Texas, and if you're in Texas, California, you know, no disrespect to any other states or Florida, you know, sports is like religion, especially football. So um, I tend, I, I moved towards football more, um, even though I probably love baseball uh, more, but I was just better at football. And so uh, blessed enough, I got a scholarship to Baylor University. Uh, which my career went good. And I thought I would be a high draft pick, at least fourth or fifth round draft pick. Didn't happen. I got signed as an undrafted free agent uh, to the Indianapolis Colts the year after they won the Super Bowl, so in 2007. And it was super cool, man. I mean, being around Peyton Manning and guys that you played Madden with. And, um, you know, just kind of to, to preference just how I got here, you know, that was my dream. And to be totally transparent with you, me achieving my dream ended up being my biggest nightmare. Because just in those three years, things didn't go right. I mean, I was playing well, but I would get injured. Uh, I was on the practice squad, had a chance to make the active roster. It didn't happen. I got probably cut, which means fired. I probably got cut 10 or 11 times within those three years. So a very unstable life. Coming back home, you know, sheltering myself in my parents' house because I didn't want to go out in the city because obviously everybody knows me. And if it's September, October, and I'm at home, like, why are you at home? You're supposed to be in India. You're supposed to be in Seattle. So that's how my career went, uh, very up and down. Two situations really uh, changed my life. And I'll speak about the first one, which was in 2008, the birth of my son. Uh, Tristan got me on the road of becoming a better man. And he made me realize that I had more purpose and meaning to my life than just sports. And out of that birth in 2009 is what I do now, rehab time. I never wanted to be a speaker. I never wanted to be an author. I didn't even read books at that time. Even today, I'm an introverted person. But I just knew that there was something bigger for my life. I knew that I could share my journey and help other people. And I stepped into that, man. And, um, you know, 10 years later, you know, here we are. Trent, one of the reasons I invited you on today is because we share a passion 
which is the power of vulnerability. Uh, I, I think one of my best currencies is talking very openly around my struggles, my challenges, and helping, helping other people do the same. Your book is very vulnerable. You share in the first opening chapters this story a little more extensively around, you know, one day you're literally on the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts field, and then the next day you're home in your parents' bedroom where you were raised, right? You also share some of the, the, the knee-jerk back and forth between the Seahawks. Will you recreate the story of you literally headed to the airport to join the Seahawks, and what happens? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny I can laugh about it now, but at that time I definitely <laughs> wasn't sure. laughing. Um, it was, so it was 2000, 2008. Uh, I just, I was on the Seahawks practice squad, and I was there, and if you know the NFL, you know, first of all, NFL stands for not for long. Also, it's uh, it's a business. It's a numbers game. So if you're in a practice squad, you know, they might release you to bring in someone else. If someone gets injured. It's a whole bunch of things, variables that go into it. And so that year, I probably got released two times, but it, it might have just been for a week or so. And, you know, I'll just stay up in Seattle and they'll bring me back the next week because they really like me. Well, this time um, I got released, released. So I was back home in Texas. And I was actually in Dallas. And if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you know it's two separate cities. So I was in Dallas. My home is in Fort Worth. So I get a call from a 206 number, which is Seattle area code. And I pick it up. And they're like, hey, like, we want to bring you back. So I'm excited. Like, I'm already on Facebook telling everybody I'm going back to Seattle. I'm calling. <laughs> I'm texting my my, uh, my mom, my dad, and my friends. And I told them, like, well, wait. Like, you want me to come back tonight? And they was like, yes. There's a late flight. And I was like, I'm in Dallas. And they was like, listen, I don't care how you got to get whatever. Go home. Uh, put in a few clothes, go to the airport. So I'm like, okay, cool. Hung up the phone, left my dinner, rushed home, uh, took a little travel bag, put some things in. Super excited. Cause I'm like, man, I'm finally getting my opportunity again. I'm going to make the most out of it. Driving to the airport, uh, happy, park the car, get out of my car. I'm actually just about to check in, like walking towards the terminal and I get another call. And it was this 206 number. It was a different number. So I was like, who is this? Maybe somebody I know in Seattle, answer the phone. And they're like, Trent. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, have you left yet? And it was like, you know, this is Seattle Seahawks personnel. Have you left yet? And I was like, no, I haven't left. Oh, what's up? And they're like, don't leave. Like, we changed our mind. And so, obviously, they said a little bit more nicer than that. But that was the overall gist of it. And at that moment was when I hit my rock bottom. At that moment, I didn't love the game anymore. At that moment, I felt like I lost everything. Because I felt like that was my opportunity. I was so, such on a high to be crumbled in that moment. And I went back home to my parents' house and that's when I learned how to really be depressed and really suppress things and run from my reality. So that was a breaking point in my whole journey in my NFL career. Trent, there's a lot to unpack there because I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have had your life's goal your entire life, to become an NFL player, to have made it to the Colts, to have been recruited by the Seahawks and practice, kind of let go, let, let go, and then you get a call to come back. You pack your bags, yeah. you leave your dinner, you're going to the airport, your dream is coming true, and it's like this emotional, intellectual, physical, you know, back and forth. What have you learned that all of our listeners who've had a similar or maybe not even remotely similar kind of seesaw, what have you learned now on the other side of that that would help other people deal with you know, similar emotional ups and downs? Yeah, um, the first thing that comes to my heart is your current situation is not your final destination. And it takes, and it's hard to like see this in the storm. And I get it. Cause if I would have told myself this in that moment, I'm like, okay, Trent, I hear you. But you have to know that when certain doors close on your life, it only means that better doors are about to open. 
And you have a choice when those moments, when those doors are closed, either you can, you know, cave it, even you can, you know, say, okay, I'm through with it. This is my, you know, this chapter is going to be the rest of my story. You can say, you know what, this chapter sucks. This is not fair, but you know what, how can I get over this? Your perspective can need to be your power, your prison. And it's pretty simple. A power perspective in that moment is saying, listen, it didn't work out. Maybe there's something better that's going to work out. I'm just going to control what I can control and pray about the things that I can't. A prison perspective would be complaining, would be, okay, my life is over, would be, you know, not trying to push forward anymore. And so in that moment, I had a little bit of prison perspective for a little bit, but then I had to snap out because I knew, again, my son was dependent on me. I knew I couldn't just not move. I had to do something. So I would tell you to just remember those words. Just because you have some bad chapters doesn't mean your story can't end well. And always know there's going to be a next chapter in life. So you have to be willing to adjust. You have to be willing to say, learn from what you learned from in those previous chapters and say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to make sure these next chapters of my life are better. Trent, how would your life have been different tonight, today, had you made it to the Seahawks and had a, you know, 10-year run, not for long, I get the NFL, I'm sure you've thought about how your life would be different. You have a phenomenal platform now. We'll talk about how you got there. You said, you know, kind of be careful what you wish for in the book. Uh, what do you think would be different? Um, I really think I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Matter of fact, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. If I would have had that successful NFL career, you know, who knows? Maybe down the line, I hit a rock bottom. You know, who knows? But I don't think I would have hit the rock bottom. I don't think I would have took the time to actually face my reality, actually face the things in my life because success was covering up. And oftentimes success is a band-aid to our insecurities and it doesn't cure our insecurities. So maybe at some point I would have to deal with it, but I can promise you this, I wouldn't be influencing thousands of million people across, millions of people across the world if that would have happened. And so that loss, like, and it's crazy to say this, that loss, which was my greatest loss in life at that time, ended up being my greatest game. And so I want people to think about that. Just because you have lost your everything, maybe that really wasn't your everything. Maybe that was just a path to lead you to what your everything could be and how your life is supposed to be used. So um, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Absolutely, 100%. Trent, you mentioned that you're kind of a bit of an introvert and a shyer person. When you think of an NFL player, you think of a big, bold, gregarious personality, someone who can get on instant um, Instagram or social media or speak from the stage, no problem. That wasn't the case for you. Would you recreate carefully and slowly the story in the book about, I think it was you and maybe even a college buddy or someone that you went to a church, you, you were raised in a religious family. Would you share that story about how the pastor calls you up and kind of what happened and how that led to the next great thing in your life? Yeah, so, um, well, there's actually two situations. Are you, are you referring to the situation where you were in the back pew into a church? And you were in the back pew and you were called to the front pew. You were kind gotcha. of there incognito and gotcha. he spoke to you about what your real <laughs> so, calling yeah, in life was. Uh, I got you. Uh, so we were in Tulsa, and at that point, it was probably 2011. Um, I had started rehab time. Like, rehab time was for me at that moment. I didn't know I would be, obviously, what I'm doing, but it was just me getting right mind, body, and soul. So I was in Tulsa playing arena football, which for me was terrible. Nothing against it actually doesn't exist anymore, but it was just terrible for me. So me and the quarterback, we were pretty close. And so we, go to, we went to church, and... I remember it very vividly. We went to church, and actually the church was in a school. It was in a school auditorium. So we go in there, 
we sit in the very back. I'm talking about there's no role behind us. You know, we're trying to be incognito, not trying to be noticed, not trying to be called out. My dad's a pastor, so I know how it can go. <laughs> so I'm like sitting in the back and the pastor, you know, he's preaching and he happens to look back. He's scanning the audience, you know, speaking to people's life. And he says, hey, you two. And like, we both look back. <laughs> it's like nobody behind us, by the way. So we look back and he's like, no, like you two, come here. I'm like, oh, here we go. And so we walk down to the, the bottom of the, uh, the church to him. And, you know, he said some things to my quarterback, um, some things that's on his heart. And he said, he looked at me, he paused and he said, you. And this is 2011, before any viral videos for any of this. He said, you have something great coming for your life. And so the first thing I thought about was, oh, he, he sees me getting signed back to the NFL. Like, cool. And he said, no, it's not football. And I guess you can tell we're football players because we're tossed or whatever like that. So it's not football. He said, I see you speaking on stages across the world. And I know if you're watching this right now, it seems like, duh. But if you knew me then, it would seem like crazy. Because as, as I said, I was an introverted person. So I see you speaking on stages across the world. I see you creating something that's going to impact millions of people's lives. And my quarterback kind of nudged me. And once we left, he said, I nudged you because he was talking about rehab time. And so in that moment, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really accept it because I was still so focused on what I wanted to do. I was still so focused on making it back to the NFL that even though the seed was planted, which I'm glad he planted that seed, I didn't leave there and be like, oh, man, like I'm going to be a speaker now. I was kind of like let down, like, man, I don't want that. Like, I want to I want you to speak into my life with sports. And so um, that seed was planted. And so when the right time, when it was time for my seed to actually grow and, and reap that harvest, those words, even to this day, has set with me, even in the midst of my fear sometimes that I was called to do something greater. And so it took me actually answering that call and walking in my calling to be able to do what I do today. Trent, it's inspiring because all of us have had a similar situation, whether we recognize it or not, right? Everyone has been sitting in the back pew, called up to the front pew, and had someone metaphorically talk to us about our plan. And as I listen to you, I think about, so when did I refuse in life to perhaps move from the back pew to the front pew? When did I move up? but I listened to the person but didn't internalize it, right? And, and right now is someone speaking to me about what they think I could and should do that perhaps I'm not listening to or really owning. It was a, you look back, it was a pivotal moment in your life, was it not? It was totally pivotal. I mean, it changed everything for me. And I think, and, and listen, like, this wasn't the first time I heard that. I mean, ever since I was four years old, I think I talked about in the book, with my mom, like this calling was always like, you're going to be this speaker. And I just thought because my dad was a great speaker and pastor, maybe that was it. But it was always subtle seeds planted throughout my life. But I was just so wrapped up on what I wanted to do. And I was so fearful because just with me having social anxiety, just with me just being an introvert, like that was one of my biggest fears to like really expose myself like that and step on stages and talk in front of people and share and be vulnerable and transparent. It's something that I was afraid of doing. So that fear would always overtake anything. It was like a blockage for me hearing any type of calling of being a speaker in my life. That fear was like, nope, that's not what you're called to do. You're called to play sports. And it kind of pushed me back into my comfort zone. Trent, you've spoken about rehab time uh, twice now. Uh, walk our listeners and viewers in the kind of behind the scenes of why, what, 
and who is involved in rehab time? Yeah, so rehab time started in 2009 in my room at my parents' house. And rehab time for me, so I don't know, I wish I could say I had this magical moment that I just planned everything out. It didn't happen like that. I just know I'll hit my rock bottom. I remember being in my room, looking around, my son's pictures, you know, he's just born. I'm looking at all these trophies and I'm just like, is this, this is it? It's like, this is what life is supposed to be about. And the word rehab time popped into my mind. I said, Trent, is rehab time. And the reason rehab as an athlete, or have you ever been hurt before, you ever been injured, you go to rehab. And if you do the rehab process right, it sucks. It takes a lot of patience, but if you do it right, oftentimes you'll come back stronger than you were before you got hurt. And so I say, you know, I'm going to take that same philosophy mentality to my life because there's a lot of things I need to rehab, mind, body, and soul. So I focused on the things I could control. So for me, for my body, it meant, you know, going to the gym. It meant eating right. For my mind, I didn't even like to read books at all. So the first book I picked up, first of all, was probably John Maxwell. So I picked up those books and started to read. Spirituality, I got deeper in my faith. And from that moment, as I started to work on myself, I started to realize and sharing my journey that other people had similar struggles. And other people were asking me, like, can you talk more about this? And the big moment um, that really, like, exploded rehab time for me was being at a church again uh, with Dr. Tony Evans. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Dr. Tony Evans. Great man. His son, Jonathan, invites me to speak at the church. And at this moment, rehab time was kind of just for me. He wanted me to speak. I'm still trying to avoid it. I'm like, I don't want to be on the stage. Like, I'm not a speaker. At that time, I was trying to rap. I was like, I can rap. I can just, I said, how long? He said, five minutes. And I was like, that's too long. <laughs> 5,000, probably three, 5,000 kids, seemed like 20,000 kids. And as a speaker, you know, like speaking in front of youth is very, very difficult. I mean, they'll, you have to be transparent and vulnerable. On that stage, I prepared the whole night before, forgot everything once I grabbed the microphone, stage fright. And I remember that moment, this is what changed my life forever. As a speaker for rehab time, I remember that moment, I was just like, God, use me. And I just remember you can sing or you can swim, just be real, spoke, Five minutes after all these kids run up to me, he's like, man, that's the realest thing we ever heard. My friend was like, man, I've never seen someone impact the audience like that, especially kids in this moment, which is so hard to do. After that, I made the decision to truly cut off football, like burn the bridge. There was no going back, a real decision. And I called three people. I called a group of three people. I called a group of three. I called my uh, coach, which I was supposed to go to football the next day. He hung up in my face because he was angry because I wasn't showing up to arena. So he hung up in my face. I called my friends. They really didn't understand. I called my mom. She didn't really understand it until I told her these things. And this is why it changed everything for me. I said, Mom, I never felt so much confidence in the midst of my biggest fear. I never felt so much power in the midst of sharing my pain. I just, I've never just felt like this is what I was created to do. She said, Trent, go seek that wholeheartedly. And it's like my mom gave me that permission. And from that day, from that day, Four months, five months later, the video started to go viral. And I started to just grow rehab time. And rehab is, I like to call my audience rehabbers, right? People who just want to better their life, own their past, and put strengths back into a weakness. So that's what rehab time is all about in a nutshell. So well said. Thank you, Trent. Uh, in the book, you share a great story about what it was like to work and play with Peyton Manning with the Colts. And you share a specific example about a, a, a successful play and the debrief after that. There's so many business lessons to be learned from this. Would you create that story in detail? Because I think anybody who's listening or watching that's a leader of a business right now or a business unit 
can take some wisdom away from thinking you perhaps have achieved success, but perhaps it's not as times are, you know, in crisis with COVID and all that's going on with social unrest and businesses changing and uh, uh, recreate that story with you will for us. Yeah. So it was when I w- was with the Colts and just to tell a story about Peyton, just in general, um, it's a reason why he's so great. I mean, obviously he's talented, but he's way more mentally talented than physically talented. I mean, this is a guy that was in spending time in the summer. Now, let me just paint this picture. Most superstars are not at OTAs as we call them. Um, not, you know, working with the rookies. You know, most superstars are in Miami somewhere, like doing what they do, working with their own trainers. Peyton was there every single day, working with guys like me. And I actually asked him when Price like, why are you out here with us? He said, well, I want to build the chemistry just in case Marvin or Reggie Wayne or whoever goes out and you have to step in. I want to build that type of chemistry. So that lets you know who he is as a leader, as one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, still putting in the work as if he's a rookie himself. I remember being at practice and this was just Peyton to the T. So we're at practice, and I'm not going to say the receiver's name, but it was one of our rookie receivers at the time, and he's running a route, right? He's running a curl route. So for you guys in those sports, it's just 12 yards, you curl around, catch the ball. So he's running the curl route. Um, Peyton drops back, throws him the ball. He runs the curl route, catches it, makes a great move, goes to score, right? Great play. Everybody's cheering, and then you just hear, like, Peyton, like, yelling like what are you doing what are you doing so we're looking like what is he talking about like is he talking to someone else he's like no what are you doing and the receiver was like what you mean i caught the ball and i scored he said no you wrong you ran the route at the wrong depth the depth is supposed to be 10 to 12 you ran it at i think he ran it like 15 yards and he said yeah practice that might work but what happens in the game when you know when all this pressure is on, and I'm expecting to be at 12 yards, because you have to understand, where receivers and quarterbacks, it's timing routes. Okay, so the receiver, the quarterback's expecting the receiver to be at this exact location, right, as he's scanning the field. So he said, if I throw it at 12 and you run it at 15, that could be interception. He said, let's run it over. And so he made the whole offense run the play over until we got it right. And so he cared so much about detail like that, and that's why you see him or saw him being the great quarterback that he was. Most quarterbacks, and I played on different teams, most quarterbacks that I play with, they would let that slide, but not him. He's like that particular when it comes to certain things, and that's why he's legendary. Trent, last question about football. You've had some ups and downs in that career that was once your life passion, which is not, it's obviously been very instructive in your success now. What are the biggest lessons that you learned from your brief and Um, public NFL career that you've carried forward now as a father, as a leader, as a speaker, as a coach? Yeah. um, The first thing is perseverance. Um, I think life is all about that. And sports is about it. You know, always advocate for a lot of kids, if you can, to play sports because nothing teaches you the perseverance of being able to persevere through difficult times, to be able to persevere through a bad practice, through a bad game, through a bad quarter. And it teaches you to keep progressing and keep moving forward especially right now. Like if there's going to be two types of people during this COVID-19 or 2020, there's going to be one person is like blaming 2020 for the rest of their life, but it's going to be another person, which is most of you listening to this is going to be like, you know what? I'm going to persevere through this. And I'm going to look back and realize 2020 built something inside of me that nothing else could have built. And football taught me that it wasn't the wins that taught me how to be a better player. It wasn't the perfect routes that taught me how to be a better player. It wasn't the blowout games that taught me how to be a better player. It was the mistakes. It was the losses. It was the setbacks. It was the injuries 
that drove me to be something greater. So football taught me mental toughness that I feel like is very necessary in this world. And the word I love to use is emotional resilience. Football taught me how to be emotional resilience. When emotions arise, because emotions are real, but they don't always right. Emotions might tell you that it's over, it's done, and that's not always the truth. And so I've always learned to focus on the bigger picture, picture and push past my emotions. And that's something that you know football has taught me. Trent, we're taping this discussion in mid-June. It'll probably air in early to mid-August. We are just on kind of the, the other side of a lot of the, the uh, more physical conversation around the social unrest. When I say physical, I mean the protests and such. Yeah. We're very much still in the mental, emotional uh, phase of Black Lives Matter. What would you like to share with our audience around where you see race in America? How can each of us be, regardless of our gender, our age, our race, how can we be part of the solution? Well, I think the big part of the solution is the magic word is empathy. And it's understanding and putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, and I think that takes everybody being selflessness. Um, if we're always worried about what about me, mm. or if we're always thinking about ourselves, then we will never be able to see selfishness never create never creates togetherness. So if we're always focused on us, then how can we ever help each other? So I challenge everybody to like get outside your comfort zone. I challenge everybody, whatever privilege you may have, maybe it's a race privilege, maybe it's uh, a status and social media privilege. We all have different privileges. I challenge you to get outside your privilege, outside of your comfort zone, and give a helping hand to someone who doesn't look like you. Learn about someone else's culture. Learn about what someone else has been through. Because when we truly have empathy, we can feel what someone feels. We can hear what they hear. We try to see what they see and understand their perspective, even if it goes against us. Because we have to challenge our own perspectives. And when we do that, we really can help this world. And one quote, that I've been saying this whole time that I told myself, if you never see yourself, right, as a part of the problem, then you will never understand the power you have to be a part of the solutions. So ask yourself, what could I do better? What could I stand on that's truth and that's right? What would I want people to do for me? And I think when you have that mindset, we can create major change in this world. Trent, beautifully said, you have a new book coming out. I tried to get an advanced copy, but couldn't get it here in time. It's on Amazon as a pre-release or a pre-order right now. It's called uh, Straight Up, Honest, Unfiltered, As Real As I Can Put It Advice yeah. for Life's Biggest Challenges. Uh, do you by chance know the actual day release of that book? Yeah, August 4th. It was supposed to be May 5th, but obviously everything that happened, they pushed yeah. it back to August 4th. August 4th. Give us a bit of a, a pre-glimpse to what, what your um, readers can expect out of Straight Up. Yeah, so Straight Up is 12 sections with 52 lessons. Uh, it is literally a book for someone who doesn't like to read. I mean, obviously you love to read, you'll love this book too, but I want to take away all the excuses of someone like me back in 2009 where it's like, I don't want to read that much. So literally you can digest it. It's easy, digestible content. And if you love my videos, you're going to be like, man, this is Trent's video in written form and it's targeted to you. Um, I think it's for everybody now. So if you're watching this and you're 35 years old, 55, don't dismiss it because I think you can learn a lot from it. But I wrote this with the 13, 8-year-old, 24-year-old in mind and just giving that real straight-up facts about relationships, about mindsets, the things I wish I would have got from people. Like, I got kind of the filtered version of life. This is raw, real. Like, this is why you don't want to do this. This is what you need to do, and this is why. 
And I'm just being very honest and uh, vulnerable in this book. And I think it's going to help a lot of people once they get it. Trent Shelton, thank you for joining us. Your current book is The Greatest You. Your next book is straight up. The next time you're in Park City to snowboard or ski, you got to text me because I missed you last year. We'll go have a, a burger and a beer or something. Trent, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. And I'll make sure I'll do that, man. Thanks again. Have a blessed day. We'll see you again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of On Leadership. If you're not subscribing, this is now the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership, where each week we interview a different thought leader, celebrity, best-selling author, and like today, former NFL star Trent Shelton. Visit franklincovey.com, click on the On Leadership tab, subscribe, you, your family, your colleagues, and we'll see you back here next week for a new discussion on leadership.